0: Welcome to Cast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm
1: Micah.
2: And I'm Laura.
0: We have three more chapters in our chapter-by-chapter chapter series this week. But first, just wanted to briefly acknowledge it's been a busy week or two in the UK. And since these books are based in the UK, Laura and I just wanted to plug our latest episode of Millennial real quick.
2: On that show, Andrew and I are joined by our good friend Pam every week, to talk about our Generation Y experience. We're talking current affairs, pop culture, and pretty much any and everything in between to unpack why these stories matter and how they affect millennials. Eric and Micah have even been known to grace us with their presence on the show here and there. And this week, we centered our conversation on the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, the positive and negative implications for the UK and the Commonwealth around having a royal family at all, and we kept it fun by using Shakespearean insults throughout, so that was a good time. Um, so if you are following the royal family or you just want to learn more, check out our latest episode. We are Millennial on your favorite podcasting app or head over to MillennialShow.com. And one final note here, Millennial is intended for young adults and older, so please keep that in mind as you are thinking about which podcast to subscribe to next. Thank you, kids. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. just wanted to mention that because of how big of a week it's been. And we're really proud of that episode. So do check that out. But with that all said, let's dive straight into chapter by chapter. We're going through another three chapters of Sorcerer's Stone this week. And we'll start with chapter four, The Keeper of the Keys. And as always, We will begin with our seven-word summary. Eric, you are starting things off this week. You didn't start any of the seven-word summaries off last week. By design, Andrew. I don't like doing it. I noticed. The the
3: pressure was too much.
0: Yeah, well, now we're turning the tables back on you. So, here we go.
3: Suddenly, Hagrid bursts through the Door, bam!
2: <laughs> there it is. Perfect. It's our first one.
3: <laughs> I would have used another adjective, Laura. When it came yes. to, you, I would have said like tattered door or broken door yeah, or you know, destroyed yeah. door. There yeah. we go. It works well, fine. Micah made this way
0: better. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So. I agree. <laughs> At least we didn't
1: end in hooray. I did think
0: about that, by the way.
2: <laughs> Yay! <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, this is a pretty straightforward chapter. We're really just seeing Hegrid come in, talk down to the Dursleys, and introduce Harry to the Wizarding World and tell him who he truly is. A couple things I want to focus on in this chapter. The letter that Dumbledore left with baby Harry is mentioned, and this is the one that Petunia is later told in Order of the Phoenix to remember. In this chapter, Petunia has a very angry response to Hagrid saying, how could you not have told uh, Harry and he hasn't known? How could you? I'm wondering if her angry response here, which Harry notes feels like she's been holding on to for years, hints at all at her once desire to have become a wizard like Lily, or is this rant an act for Vernon or both? Maybe.
2: I think it's both.
3: Yeah, I think definitely in the power dynamic, I've talked about this before, like Vernon kind of defers to Petunia for how to feel about everything. Uh, So I think that she's definitely like making it known that she's still very angry about this. Um, But yeah, she's definitely been holding it in for so long. And Harry picks up on this. It's just as terrifying as this is uh, to have his aunt be like, you know, screaming. um, It does feel still reading it like a relief because this has all been going on. This dynamic between how the Dursleys view about the Wizarding World and Dumbledore and Hogwarts and Harry's destiny that is coming fastly through the door. Um, I just think it's finally out in the open it being a relief, you know, now that now that even Harry can inter- interact with it because they just kept it from him. Totally. Mm, a relief. That's an interesting way to describe it. They wouldn't even acknowledge it, that there was an existing problem. And now Petunia just knows everything. And I I leave it up to uh, Hagrid to really um, bring that out, I think, in the Dursleys because of his equally, uh, well, even more valid, righteous fury that they didn't tell him anything.
1: We talked a little bit about this on the last episode where Harry is that constant reminder for Petunia of what she was never able to fully achieve herself, especially when the letters start showing up. But I do agree. I feel like this is a major release point for her. She's been waiting to say this for a long time. There's a couple of lines that I noted here where she says, I was the only one who saw her for what she was, a freak. But I also Mm. feel like deep down she's saying to herself, but I wanted to be a freak too.
3: Yeah. So Mm. there's some
1: of that happening. And then, of course, referencing mommy and daddy and saying – It was Lily this and Lily that. They were proud of having a witch in the family, so you can see that clearly. There's something going on here, with Lily feeling less than with her parents.
2: Yeah, hundred percent.
1: You mean Petunia? I'm sorry. Yeah, Petunia. Yeah, Yeah, Petunia. yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think that this is something that Petunia's, you know, had to hold on to and stare at Harry every single day, and probably every single time something weird has happened with him, she's had this inkling that it's his magic because she saw her sister go through the same thing growing up, right? It's why she thought she was a freak. So she's watching Harry start to inherit his magic. And it's slowly rising over the years. It's slowly bubbling up. And she's like, oh, no, 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 thinking that if she puts her head in the sand and denies it, it won't be real. And now it very much is real. (laughs) a giant burst down their door.
3: This also explains a little bit deeper into why Harry, I mean, Harry was always punished for doing magic accidentally, but it's not like Petunia went to send him to see some analysts, right? She, right. Never, was, like, she never was spooked by anything that she did or anything that Harry did. And she could have been, but she knew. She knew what was mm. behind it. So even like when the sweater really shrunk in front of her or the hair grown overnight, like, yeah, Harry was nervous about it. But I think anyone who was either trying to parent properly would have tried to have Harry assessed um, or exercised um, or anyone who didn't already know what was going on. Um, Things could have been a lot worse, I think, for Harry. But yeah, it's clear that Petunia just really tried to squash it out. And it's sad because after her failed relationship with her sister, after Lily dies, Petunia really had a second chance with Harry. Uh, She could have really decided to foster his difference, like, say he'd be like a little freak or whatever, but she could live vicariously through him instead of choosing anger like she did the whole time Lily was alive.
0: Yeah. But on the other hand, I guess she couldn't, because how would Vernon have reacted to that? Like, this could have potentially destroyed the marriage. It is a game changer. Yeah,
3: yeah. If she yeah. shifted plays in the middle of the game.
2: Yeah. I mean, she pr- she'd she probably be better off if that marriage dissolved, is my thinking. <laughs> <laughs>
3: No, they're perfect for each other, Laura. I'll fight you on that. It's kind of sad
0: because what if Petunia is actually super cool, but we'd never know because that ball and chain Vernon is really dragging her down. Oh, yeah.
1: There's something to be said for the fact that she goes to the complete opposite end of the spectrum from what her sister is, right? She goes to Vernon, which is as boring and plain. And there's probably a lot of other adjectives we can come up with about Vernon. But yeah. And- It's unfortunate that she goes that route because to that point, she could be really cool. We just don't know.
0: Cool Petunia. Let's get right in that fan fiction.
1: I'm sure it exists.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Probably. There's, There's a fan fiction for everything. Switching gears a little bit here, though, because throughout this chapter, we see Hagrid reference so much to Harry, like, your parents are famous, you're famous. And we see some examples of how that plays out for Harry a little bit later in this conversation. But You know, it took me back to last week's conversation when we were talking about Dumbledore saying Harry's famous before he can walk and talk. It wouldn't be good for him to be exposed to this right now. But we also know that fame can just be really hard on kids in general. There are some, you know, really sad real life examples where fame has not gone well for child stars, for example. So reflecting on last week's discussion, I'm wondering if we think Harry is more prepared to face this now, than he would have been to grow up in a wizarding culture.
3: Oh, yeah. He's but still I, just eleven, though. I
2: well, still feels yeah, very young.
3: You, it is still yeah. very young. I just have to believe. Going back on what we were saying last week, literally anything would have been better than the Dursleys. Uh, mm-hmm. like I really, really believe that. Especially rereading these now, because I think what we're meant. Like, as a kid, I would think, okay, Harry's coming from nothing made him very humble, right? And it was this great thing, the great attractive quality in a hero who, when he learns he's famous or has money, doesn't care. He's like, I I got by this far without money. I don't need to brag, show it around or whatever. And like, yeah, sure. Being modest is a great character trait and one we find in a hero. But he literally believes he's worthless. He literally believes he does not deserve any of this. So there's a little bit more of a dark side to to his modesty, which is he has very low self-esteem. Um and that's caused by the abuse that he got. And so I think there must have been a way to raise Harry in another world where he didn't get so much, you know, k- kind of learned to value himself and his own decisions, maybe it would have made him a better student <laughs> in school. Yeah.
1: It is hard to say though. And we see it really in the next chapter when he goes to Diagon Alley how he starts to Handle that that fame, and there is a level of modesty to it. He seems pretty controlled, but certainly, I would imagine if he grew up knowing who he was, that that could have easily created a massive ego for him and and gone to his head really quickly. Where maybe he would have been uh, more closely aligned with the Draco Malfoys of the world,
2: or more like his dad when he was younger. Yeah. You know.
3: That's a really interesting point, and he's kind of uh, pre-susceptible to (laughs) being uh, an arrogant prat. That's really interesting. I mean, if Sirius raised Harry, uh, Harry would probably have a big head about him, just knowing that that was where Sirius and James both kind of failed. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I do wonder, though, you know, if we're thinking about these what-if scenarios, we know that Sirius has this problem in the core books of seeing Harry as James. But I wonder if he had had the opportunity to raise him, if that would have still held true.
3: Yeah, he would have definitely seen Harry from a young age and they would have grown apart. He wouldn't have inherited Harry when Harry was basically his dad's age, when his dad died. Right. You know, instead.
1: I'm curious. You know, we see that it's Hagrid that Dumbledore tasks with going to pick up Harry from the Dursleys. And... Harry is is reluctant at times throughout the course of the chapter to really believe everything that's going on around him and and I'm wondering is Hagrid the right person here like do we feel that he's overly convincing in his claims or is it more so the way that Vernon responds right it Vernon denies Vernon has this backlash yeah. um with everything that is coming out of Hagrid's mouth so I'm wondering is it more the Dursleys that convince Harry that this is all true Than Hagrid himself, because if you had like this big giant show up in the middle of the night out of nowhere to tell you that you're a wizard, I'm not sure that's so convincing.
0: Right. And he's got sausage links pouring out of his pockets and owl, like all these odds and ends, which he just he seems like he's this nutty person who just happened to show up on on this little rock island. I I think it's both because there's a key moment in this chapter where Hagrid says to him, "You ever make anything happen that you couldn't explain?" I might be quoting the movie more than the book, but this happens in the book as well and Harry realizes, "Oh yeah, I popped up on the roof. I, you know, made that glass disappear." Like he has done a bunch of strange things, so it does all start to click for him. So I think it's the combination of him finally being able to explain all the odd occurrences that he's been able to make happen and the Dursleys losing their minds.
3: Right. They wouldn't react quite the same if they didn't know it was the truth. And there's some crazy thing about the truth, which is it's really precise. You can tell that there is a truth that's been levied towards them, leveled towards them, and I, they just have to meet it. So I think it's I think it's equal parts. Definitely the Dursleys' reaction would indicate that Harry um, has been lied to and convinces him to kind of just go off with this guy through Diagon Alley. As far as whether he's the right guy for the job, uh, yes, excellent, ten out of ten, no notes. <laughs> I feel very. Oh, we're
0: confident. we're gonna get there. We're we're
3: gonna debate that in the next <laughs> chapter because I, can't
0: I have some serious doubts. Yeah,
1: <laughs> he's certainly the most imposing and threatening figure to send, and maybe that was part of the decision as well, knowing. Vernon, because Vernon does stand up to Hagrid at points throughout this chapter, even though he eventually- He's got a gun. He does, but he he inevitably backs down. But but yeah, I mean, and, and of course, there's the whole tie back to Hagrid bringing Harry to the Dursleys in the first place. So only natural that he would take him into the wizarding world for the first time.
2: Yeah. And he does say that Dumbledore alluded to him that Harry might be difficult to track down. So I think Dumbledore knows that the Dursleys, in some capacity, are trying to evade this news. And he sends Hagrid, who looks as, you know, not normal, as I think the Dursleys can imagine. And it's, it's an intimidation factor, right? But Hagrid is also a big teddy bear. And that, I think, comes across in his conversations with Harry. So I, I kind of think Harry has no choice here. I mean, he's looking at his adoptive family who have lied to and abused him his entire life. Freaking out because something they've been hiding from him is coming out. And he's being told, you're a wizard. Come with me. We're going to go do magic stuff. Yeah. It, it kind of seems like the choice was made for him.
0: This conversation is also making me think maybe Dumbledore wanted to send Hagrid not just because he could be menacing with his stature but also maybe he knows that Hagrid will step over the line a little bit in terms of what he should or shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And Hagrid, you know, mentions to Harry several times in these chapters that we're discussing today, you know, don't tell anybody anybody I did this, I did that. Maybe Dumbledore knew he would throw a spell at the Dursleys
3: if he needed to, whereas other wizards maybe wouldn't.
2: Yeah. yeah. So I think Dumbledore knows.
3: Hagrid is of age. They're not technically tracing him anymore. So when he does magic, yeah. it's like off the grid and magic. get away with it. Yeah. Oh,
0: that's so interesting. I'd never thought of that before. But now I love that Dumbledore purposely sent him because he knew <laughs> he'd create a little trouble <laughs> to get that's- the job done.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And Laura, off of something you said, Maybe we can just talk about this now. When Dumbledore told me there might be trouble getting a hold of you, right? You mentioned that line that Hagrid says. Yeah, but but like, what is Dumbledore doing then if he knows all this? Like, if he knows Harry is going to be hard to get a hold of, and he knows everything that's going on with the Dursleys? Again, this just speaks to his inability to actually care properly for Harry at a young age. Like, it's clear he has some level of insight into what's going on, and he's not doing anything about it.
2: Yeah. For all of the work that we know Dumbledore did about deprogramming himself from the Gellert Grindelwald days of the greater good, I think the greater good still kind of haunts Dumbledore. And we see that in cases like this, where it's like, hey, the important thing is that Harry has the blood protection. That is like the number one goal. Everything else is sort of of ancillary, right? So I don't know if we give a Dumbledore, you liar (laughs) score there, but
0: (laughs) it's up to you guys. I got a sound effect ready if if we're ready. You (gasps) made it? I I made something.
1: Well, he's not lying. He's actually telling the truth when Hagrid says that it might be tough getting a hold of Harry.
2: Yeah. But there's also some omission happening there. I feel mm. like that's kind I'm of Dumbledore's bread and butter.
0: <laughs> Calling him a liar here?
1: Yeah, why not?
2: Please, Harry, trust me. You liar!
1: <laughs> Beautiful.
2: <laughs> so
0: here's another interesting part from this chapter. Vernon says, and this line made the movie too, I am not paying for some crackpot old fool to teach him magic tricks.
3: God, I can hear it.
0: This is, yeah, I am not paying for some... And I think many readers... If you've already read the Harry Potter books, you might agree with this description of Dumbledore. Speaking of Dumbledore being a liar, he can be a bit of a crackpot old fool. What I also found interesting about this line is that we did learn later from the author that Hogwarts is allegedly free to attend because the student's tuition is funded by the Ministry of Magic. Okay. But I feel like this is a retcon. A very clear one, because it's also mentioned in the next chapter that Harry will need money. He needs money to get him started. Yeah, to get him started. And maybe it's like shopping for school supplies. But I feel like this is something Hagrid would have mentioned in this chapter or chapter five, that Hogwarts is actually free. Not necessarily to Vernon, but maybe to Harry, because Harry is concerned about the fact that he doesn't have money. So,
2: Yeah, I do wonder, and maybe some of our UK listeners could help fill in the gaps for us here. Are there any boarding schools that are government subsidized in this way? Because when I think about life over here across the pond, if you send your kid to a boarding school, you are absolutely paying for it.
3: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) well... But there's not a government that relies 100% on your kid getting sent to a secret boarding school to learn very secret gifts. So maybe not, but...
2: That's true. I mean, it could be part of the international statute of secrecy, right? That could be the justification for why the ministry pays for tuition.
3: Yeah, there's an incentive for them to train the students up, first of all, but then also to keep them totally separate from the general populace for most of the year.
0: Even if Hogwarts wasn't free, they'd probably give Harry a free ride, a scholarship of sorts. He's probably
3: wanted his name already.
0: Yeah, exactly. They were like, the Chosen
3: one scholarship. Uh oh, yeah. oh. Harry
0: won it again. <laughs> Hagrid's like, He's been down to join Hogwarts since he was born. And in that case, school should probably be free for you, especially if you're an orphan, especially if you're the chosen one, especially if Dumbledore is really gonna need you.
3: <laughs> I, I love sort of this idea of the shrewd Harry where he's like, hmm, seven galleons for wand. Can you make that three? I know I have a big destiny ahead of me. Like haggling with all the shop owners for like all of his stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, he should get a free ride everywhere. He should get a
3: complimentary wand. Yeah. It's the,
0: it's the least Ollivander can do for helping Tom Riddle. Yeah.
3: It's literally the last wand in the in the store. So he's like, you wasted my time, sir. You said you've been doing this how long since 382 BC? Come on. Do better. <laughs>
2: also, considering what we find out his brother wand did, yeah. I could see him being right. like, hey, you know, you made the wand that caused all of this. So you Can you
3: like- knock two more galleons off yeah. the crowd. I'm just gonna take this. Bye.
2: <laughs> Come
1: on. It is though just such a classic Vernon Dursley line like that kid's not getting any of my money. <laughs> right.
3: <Yeah. laughs> that that much is clear. <laughs> they made that decision long ago. After they waste so much money on Dudley.
1: Yeah, great point
0: couple of odds and ends. Just wanted to mention again, Hagrid and the many things in his pockets. He's able to cook sausage right there on the spot. That sausage wasn't refrigerated in his pocket. I'm a little grossed out by that. Uh, he's able to boil tea. This is also an animal welfare nightmare. He's keeping a live owl in his pocket and then sends it out into a storm to let Dumbledore know his mission was successful. By the way, uh, I believe a couple months ago on our Patreon or it's in a video coming up. I have this um, like foot tall Hegrid statue. I bought it from Hallmark like 15, 20 years ago when they. It was on the first one. Oh, it wasn't the first one. Okay. I watched it. Okay. Thank you. No problem. And uh, it's a beautiful statue of Hegrid, but he's got sausage links hanging out of his pocket in a reference to this little scene. And uh, (laughs) thinking back to that makes me happy. Hagrid also mentions being expelled from Hogwarts, but doesn't explain why. We'll hear about that, of course, in the next book.
2: Right. I love how quickly he brushed that off. He was like, ah, don't worry about
0: that. <laughs> I'm a cool wizard. Don't don't ask questions.
2: <laughs> I also thought it was, um, and I know we mentioned it briefly earlier on in this discussion, but Mr. Dursley brandishing... A weapon is just even more cartoonishly funny when you consider that Hagrid, being half giant, would very likely not be injured by a gun. Um, so Hagrid didn't even need to take the rifle and bend it, <laughs> but he was just doing it to show Vernon, like, okay, sir, sit the heck down. Yeah. Can wizards be seriously injured
3: by guns? I think many of them. The fact that, like, I think Hagrid could still be greatly inconvenienced by a gun. <laughs> could, like, poke his eye out still, right? I mean, not all of him is covered in giant That's skin. That's true.
2: I guess I'm just thinking about, you know, we see stunning spells and how they just bounce off of him later on in the series. That's so. energy,
3: though. That's not a... Per- like, he's still got flesh. He can be, you know, pierced by it. Yeah. I, I, my general rule is unless you can, like, arrest a momentum, the bullet, uh, all wizards can pretty much get shot and killed by normal guns.
2: Okay, It
1: says more about Vernon, though, the fact that he went out of his way to purchase a rifle for this expedition to the island.
2: And I'm guessing he didn't know how to use it.
1: Yeah, That's the other <laughs> thing I was going to say. Just a yeah. guess. <laughs> One of the other big things, though, that happens in this chapter is, is we get Voldemort name dropped. I don't know if it's for the first time. I think it happens in the first chapter as well, right? When Dumbledore is talking with McGonagall. We get a little bit more context uh, to what happened to Harry's parents. Um, but I thought it was particularly interesting um, as they start to talk, Hagrid and Harry, that Hagrid says that he doesn't think Voldemort had enough human in him left to die. Uh, yeah. And
2: yeah, very interesting.
1: Even, even early on, we're getting kind of hints of Horcruxes, um, although not explicitly stated.
2: Yeah. yeah. And Hagrid doesn't even know that. Right. Like he doesn't know anything about the Horcruxes, but the fact that, you know, people who are pretty well connected in the wizarding world can make that assumption says something about where the story is leading us.
3: That's a good point. Yeah. But what shocked me the most about all the Voldemort stuff is he says it right in front of the Dursleys. So now even Dudley... Knows what Harry's parents' deal was, and mm-hmm. you can't kind of can't take that back or can't undo that. I'm sure Petunia and Vernon learned something too when Harry was talking about it, even though they knew the general general beats. It would have been in the letter.
1: Yeah, but, and it it speaks to his dreams as well. We've gotten a couple of mentions through the first few chapters mm-hmm. of Harry's dreams and him seeing this blinding green light that like he wrongly associates maybe with being a traffic light, uh, but now obviously we're getting a little bit more insight into that.
3: Yeah.
0: So let's get into Chapter Five, Diagon Alley, or Diagonally. <laughs> and Laura, are you
2: ready? No, not really, but we're gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> Magic is
3: uh, being shown in the shops. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh wow. Okay, I'll give that
0: one, one out of five stars.
2: Yeah, I led y'all down the wrong path, I apologize. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, I think you were right to start off with magic, because this is really, this is Harry entering the Wizarding World and experiencing all the magic for the first time. And right. he's delighted by it. He's a celebrity. Cauldron galore, owls, whimsical shops, vampires, hags, brooms, his gold, a mystery package, And this is all thanks to Hagrid being his caretaker. But like we were getting at earlier, is Hagrid, who noted that Dumbledore trusts him, and he's very proud of that, being irresponsible at times. And let's talk about why I think he can't be trusted midway through their Diagon Alley errands. Hagrid goes off for a drink because he claims to somehow will take care of the motion sickness he had after riding into Gringotts. Now, I've been on uh, Escape from Gringotts at the Wizarding World. I've been on some coasters, sometimes uh, against my will. You never left me to go get a drink.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, that was me. I did.
0: I get motion sickness very easily. And after I get off a coaster, my solution is never to go drink alcohol. So I just look, I love Hagrid. Unlike the rest of this panel, I I think I'm I might be the biggest champion of Hagrid on this panel, but I think he may have been the wrong choice <laughs> because of this and some other examples. But does anybody want to defend him? Do you, do you think maybe he was making it up that he went to get a drink?
2: Yeah. I
3: find it I find it pretty hard to justify walking away to get a drink uh when you're literally the only connection this boy has to anyone and you only you yourself only met him like hagrid doesn't know enough of harry's character to know that he won't get in immediate trouble um or decide like even at this point you could really screw something up like harry could just decide to trash the place in some kind of rant who knows
0: or run away in a panic right or like or Hagrid also knows that Harry is a celebrity. Everybody knows him. So you also run the risk of a ton of people suddenly swarming around Harry and badgering him with questions. And where's his bodyguard, so to speak? Yeah. Who's, who's going to protect him?
1: Right. If if the leaky cauldron was any indication of yeah. what could happen oh, yeah. to Harry, where the the one woman shook his hand like 50 times before he was finally able to get away. She kept coming back for more. Yeah, she she kept coming back for more. and uh, I agree with that. I I I think it's very negligent to leave an 11-year-old child it, it would be like taking them literally to a theme park and just saying uh, you know what go explore this uh <laughs> this store here. Uh I'm going to go uh get a drink for uh you know a couple minutes.
3: Reasons. Yeah, well, I think too that although you know to play the sort of the counterpoint to that uh most of the most important discoveries of your like yourself happen when you're alone in a big city, right? I, I think that speaks to me as I travel looking around. Like It's the same thing that Harry does in, in year three by having like an extra week in Diagon Alley. He kind of forges his own path. He's way too young now to be doing it. But the experience with Ollivander, the experience with meeting Draco and Madame Malkins for the first time just would have hit differently or would not have occurred at all if Hagrid were right there uh, watching over him. So I think, I'm not saying there's wisdom in what Hagrid did, but it has the fortunate side effect of Harry really does kind of start to come into his own because he mm-hmm. is on his own.
1: Yeah, that that's fair. But And and I know I equated it to like a theme park, but I think it's more like being in a foreign country for the first time and being left on your own.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I definitely see the disadvantages of leaving Harry alone at this stage in time. However, I did want to talk about the time in which this story takes place and ask y'all if you remember being kids, you know, we all grew up in the 90s, the early 2000s. There were plenty of times where at age 11, I would say starting around that time, I was allowed to walk into a store by myself and it wasn't a big deal. I don't think parents do that quite as much anymore anymore because of the current state of the world, but it was pretty common and it wasn't seen as a big deal. So I think that's part of this. The other thing I think is I don't think Hagrid actually went off to get a drink. Um, I think that he told Harry that but he turns up really quickly with ice cream cones for the both of them. Remember, Harry's, he gets into Madame Malkin's, she puts the cloak over him, she begins pinning it, and he exchanges a few lines of dialogue with Draco, and then suddenly Hagrid's in the window holding ice cream cones. And I think that you know, Hagrid wanted to surprise Harry, giving him oh, a little bit of a defense here. Whoa. Even though Harry's excited to be learning about the Wizarding World, it's probably starting to get a little overwhelming. And ice cream is like the most familiar thing that Harry sees in Diagon Alley this day. Do you, do you
1: think he had second thoughts and then didn't go and get a pick-me-up?
2: Yeah, <laughs> may- maybe he was like, uh, poor kid, let me get him some ice cream, possibly.
3: He stepped away just to throw up. And then he <laughs> went right over to the yeah
1: yeah
2: yeah.
3: But doesn't he also have a flask in his jacket? He does. Somewhere in there, yeah. The uh, the other the other thing it could have been is damage control because uh, Hagrid knew that if Harry ever met Florian Fortescue, aka the coolest wizard in the entire world, he never would have left uh, the parlor. He would still be there for years. So Hagrid had to go and get the ice cream thing out of the way first.
0: Yeah. So another example here, while Hagrid is off getting ice cream slash getting rid of his nausea, Harry has his first encounter with Draco, though he's not named in the scene. But reading it the second time, you know, this is Draco. And since Hagrid is absent, Harry's left to deal with this rando who Hagrid probably would not have let him interact with had he been present. And... Thanks to Harry's convo with the mystery boy, this is, I guess, the one thing that one good thing that comes out of it. Draco quickly becomes less appealing to Harry because he's prejudiced. He talks poorly of Hagrid. He sounds entitled and he hates on Hufflepuff. Now, let's take a little moment here to pour one out for Hufflepuff because we get several lines that start the Hufflepuff hate. (laughs) amongst readers for decades to come here in the Muggle world. So there's this line from Draco, Draco, imagine being in Hufflepuff, I think I'd leave, wouldn't you? (laughs) And and then Hagrid, and I think we brought this up on the show a few months ago, Hagrid says, everyone says Hufflepuffs are a bunch of duffers, (laughs) and Harry gloomily, gloomily predicts that he would be put in Hufflepuff. This is the beginning of Hufflepuff being treated as the lesser house by readers. (sighs) And I just, this is another ding against Hagrid. Who does Hagrid hear this from to begin with? He says everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Well, when you work at a school,
3: you you hear it every day.
0: But not just that. He passes it on to Harry like it's fact. Yeah. As an employee of the school himself, he should be lifting up every Hogwarts house. I just, I don't know if this is a bad writing decision. I don't know if this is just reflective of Hagrid's
2: character. You know, Hagrid's just keeping it real. He's just... He's (laughs) he's telling it like it is. He's telling it like it is. And he's not passing judgment on Hufflepuff. He's just saying... Yeah, kind uh, a of lot, is, of, though. lot of people think that they're lame.
3: Many people are
0: saying. That. Yeah. <laughs> many, right, when you say many people are saying, you are passing judgment yourself. <laughs> Unless you cite specific people, you are passing judgment. It's you who's saying yeah. that.
2: Well, and I would say he's also not actually a teacher at this point. He is Keeper of Keys and Grounds at Hogwarts. Right. But I right. think we can talk about this when we get to Prisoner of Azkaban. If we feel like we see him become more neutral And his approach towards the houses once he's a teacher, I think that would be really interesting to look at.
3: That's a good point.
2: (laughs) He's still he represents the the
3: school. He's an adult. It's still inexcusable to me. He's supposed to be impartial. I know Snape is too. But let's not forget he's he's (laughs) the first (laughs) adult
1: interaction to the Wizarding world officially that that Harry has. I I just kind of took this though as like part of the information drip. That we're getting as readers yeah.
0: mm-hmm. and that
1: Harry is getting. And you know, there's that line. I don't know. Remember if it was in this chapter where Hagrid just kind of says to Harry, Oh, I forgot how much you don't know about the wizarding world, that there are houses. And so is this a misstep on his part? Yeah. But we also get a Slytherin set up too. So that only really leaves two houses for Harry to be sorted into.
2: Right. We get to Micah's point, the beginning of Slytherin being set up as the bad house. Um, Hagrid says, you know, Hufflepuff would be better than Slytherin. There's not a single witch or wizard who went bad who wasn't in Slytherin. You know who was one.
3: Yeah, we know that's not that's not strictly true. Yeah, we know that uh, many of the bad guys for the next couple of years are going to be hailing from Ravenclaw.
2: Right. <laughs> that's what I was thinking, too. It's like, huh, funny, because especially in this book. Quirrell. Who we're looking at being the bad guy. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And then and then Lockhart next year. And Pettigrew was Gryffindor. So.
0: Well, so let's just take a quick vote here. Was Hagrid the right person for the job? Just to recap some positives. Uh, he did successfully help Harry get everything on his list and bought him an owl, which was very sweet. Oh. Harry doesn't die. So that's a big plus.
2: And, you know, I think Hagrid does a great job of gaining Harry's trust, which was really key in making him comfortable going off to London with a stranger. Um, there's one point in the chapter that really sticks out to me where Harry is talking about his insecurities. He thinks he's going to go to Hogwarts and he's not going to be good at magic. He's going to be so behind. And Hagrid says, you've been singled out and that's always hard, but you'll have a great time at Hogwarts. I did still do as a matter of fact. And Hagrid would know how hard being singled out is. So this is really coming from the heart, I think.
0: Yeah. And then the negatives. (laughs) Now let me go back to hating on him. Uh, (laughs) You know what we just discussed. Plus he admits to Harry. And I mentioned this a little while ago too, that he's doing some things that Hogwarts and the ministry shouldn't hear about. And he does put a tail on Dudley. He does leave the Dursleys stranded on an Island. Seemingly. (laughs) I don't know how they got off of it.
3: Maybe they wrote to Dumbledore. They had to to catch a bird, and then Petunia wrote a letter.
0: Yeah, or maybe Dumbledore just thought about it himself, like, wait a second, if Hagrid, he probably took that (laughs) boat. Oh, damn, I gotta go save the Dursleys.
2: Do y'all think that's why the Dursleys leave Harriet King's Cross the way they do in the next chapter and drive off laughing? (laughs) See ya.
0: Oof, that is vicious. Can we
1: think, though, of somebody else who would be better suited? for this role other than Hagrid, because uh, I, that like, I agree if it's Dumbledore, then it's like, whoa, teacher's new pet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know that it would set. I just, I feel like Hagrid is the right fit because he's soft as it relates to Harry, right? He's that he's a comforting presence despite his size. I don't think Harry is really intimidated at all by him, but yet he's imposing enough to do all the things that need, to be done in these chapters and protecting Harry.
3: I'm trying to think of somebody that would have been worse. McGonagall. The Dursleys would not be alive anymore. Um, if McGonagall had showed up at the hut on the rock, they would have left. They would have never been found um, for their attitude. And especially because McGonagall would have been like, I should have known 11 years ago when, the, when I first met you guys that, that the, this is just bad.
0: The only person who came to mind for me was McGonagall, but I do agree, Hagrid's more rugged, down-to-earth handling of Harry probably is more of what Harry needs right now, rather than a more strict experience that McGonagall, or maybe someone else, maybe another Hogwarts professor, would have provided.
2: Well, and I think, too, about, you know, have any of y'all ever had a mentor? It could either be in a school setting, a work setting, whatever. And although that mentor is affiliated with the institution that you're joining, there's still like your initial connection to that. They're your safe space to be able to share your insecurities and to ask all the questions that you maybe think are dumb questions. And because of that relationship, that person just tends to keep it more real with you. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. Harry needs a really gentle introduction to the wizarding world and Hagrid gives him that for better or for worse there are clearly some areas where Hagrid could maybe improve on his babysitting but I think overall he was the right choice
1: I also would just add I don't think Hagrid would really lie to Harry Mm
2: -mm. unlike
1: other people we know
2: true wow
0: (laughs) yeah fair fair Okay, you've all convinced me. I'm going to go ahead and say uh, he was the right person for the job, even though there's some serious aspects here that I'm uh, questioning. But (laughs) he was good enough. I'll say that. Good enough.
2: You would never let Hagrid babysit Brooklyn?
0: Absolutely, positively not. No. (laughs) He does
1: have dog biscuits.
0: So this is a big chapter for Harry. He's entering the Wizarding World, like I said, for the first time. And of course, very big moment for Harry... He goes to Ollivander to get his wands. But I've got some questions about Ollivander. So we meet this older gentleman who knows every wand he's ever sold. And what a character. This guy just right out of the gate. Admits he sold the wand that gave Harry that scar and killed his parents. Oops, sorry about that. Except he didn't even apologize. He also does say, if I had known what that wand was going out into the world to do. And then he trails off. Would he have not sold that wand? He absolutely. I feel would like have. it's his. Yeah, it's his duty as a wand maker to give each customer a wand. It, it might pain Oliver to not sell a wand, not not because he's money grubbing. He's you know he's 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 a, he's just a straight up businessman. But I feel like that's like that was what he was born to
3: do. Give wizards wands. Find the right, right wand. Give it to them here's the thing. He's eccentric. Ollivander's just an old eccentric. And that's the kind of thing, like after all that time with him, Harry's not sure if he likes this guy. And it's just, it's, it's perfect. It's perfectly played. And, and I think pitch perfectly adapted into the film, uh, getting John hurt to do it because like, he says some really weird things and he's allowed to be like prideful of his long history. The fact that he remembers everyone he's ever sold, but it's creepy, and it's off-putting, and you're right to call him out on his line. If I knew then what the wand was going, he would have done nothing different. And in right. fact, he seems impressed by what was done uh, by the wand that was held by Tom Riddle. By
1: Yikes. the way, that's that's such a Ravenclaw line, too, from Ollivander, yep. that he remembers every wand he's ever sold.
2: <laughs> well, and to be able to be really neutral about talking about levels of magic, you know, he says great and terrible things were done with that wand. So he is acknowledging that it wasn't good for anybody <laughs> what happened as a result of of Tom Riddle getting that wand and later becoming Voldemort, but you can't deny the level of magic and the ability that comes mm, with it.
3: All of that murder, very impressive.
2: Yeah. And I mean <laughs> it it again comes back to it being our choices. That define who we are, and I think Ollivander is alluding to that here when he says we can expect great things from you. Um, and maybe there's a tinge of hope there. Maybe he's thinking this is redemption for this wand core that did so much damage before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But something else I would bring up: I don't think Ollivander knows that Harry didn't know his history until the day prior. Mm. I think Ollivander's assuming that Harry knew what happened. So in his mind, this is not news to Harry. He's just plugging in a gap with some additional information. He has no idea. This is completely overwhelming to Harry. And I also wonder, you know, if Harry hadn't found this out from Ollivander, um, but he found out from someone else years later, like let's say Dumbledore dropped you know, a truth bomb on him in the office and was like, oh yeah, by the way, your wand, Voldemort's wand, they're brothers. I think it actually might've been worse (laughs) for him to find out later.
1: I think we get moments in these chapters of establishing connections early on between Harry and Voldemort. And this is one of them, right? That their wands share these brother cores. The scar gets mentioned uh, a couple of times in these chapters. And then of course, kind of the info dump that harry gets from from hagrid about what happened that night so i think it's important that it's set up early on that that these two are very much connected to each other
0: yeah yeah it's just another reminder that harry's really getting thrust into Mm -hmm. the reality of his world very quickly and you just feel Terrible for him. Like, okay, yeah, it's good that he does hear this information, but just keeping in mind that he is an 11 year old, this is all really tough stuff to hear, all while experiencing imposter syndrome, which we'll get to in a little bit. But this next moment really excited me because of an interview we had on the show a couple months ago. Harry chooses the right wand, and red and gold sparks shoot out Gryffindor colors. And when I read this, I remembered that when we had on the original Philosopher's Stone illustrator on the show a couple months ago, Thomas Taylor, we had asked him why Harry was wearing a red and gold scarf on the cover when he's at platform nine to three quarters. Clearly, he hadn't been sorted yet. So, why is he wearing a Gryffindor scarf? He thought he got a red and gold description from chapter two. But reading this line in the book, this appears to be, and I did a little search to see if there was another occurrence, the first time red and gold are specifically mentioned mm. in the book. So I think Thomas Taylor decided to put a red and gold scarf on Harry because of the red and gold sparks coming out
3: of his wands. That checks out. It seems very like, what are the colors of magic in receiving the wand that's meant for you? Well, it's red and gold, according to the book. Yeah, we need to email Thomas
0: Taylor and be like, hey, we found it, it <laughs> out. It took us a couple months, but we figured it out.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I wonder if everyone's wand shoots red and gold sparks when they get the right one. What is a good question? It's also like, is this a foreshadowing moment? Like what? Of him being a Gryffindor? Yeah. It's like the sorting hat technically sorts everybody, but right. Ollivander knows a couple of days early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the color. Maybe it's <laughs> Ollivander is the sorting hat. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Ooh, major twists. Any theories here about the sparks, the colors? I mean, aren't all sparks kind of red or kind of gold? Like, if they yeah. shoot, like I'm thinking of like welding metal. Yeah. Like, those are all kind of red. So maybe what Harry is seeing is just light, you know, in a, in a really interesting way. But I know that when they're doing their detention in the Forbidden Forest, uh, and Fang and Haggard are there, and Harry encounters Voldemort, they're instructed very specifically to set up either red sparks or green Sparks, depending on if they're safe or if they've encountered a problem. So there are spells that do differentiate the color of sparks that come out of your wand. I don't know what they are, but so the fact that it uh, came out red does seem to indicate that Harry will be a Gryffindor.
2: Yeah. And I wonder, too, because there's no there's no particular spell being cast at this point. The wand is just reacting to being held by Harry And it gets me thinking about what are some other times where we've seen, you know, sparks randomly emit from a wand with no clear magical purpose other than just to be there. And so I'm trying to think if those always align with a person's house colors or if it can just be dependent on the situation. Maybe the wand's in a really good mood that day. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, here's my connection to it. Like Dumbledore was a Gryffindor and Dumbledore's Phoenix slash familiar is the one who's, you know, wand core, the tail feathers and the wand core for Harry. So maybe it was red and gold because that's just the color that the wand mm. would innately be through that connection. Yeah.
2: Maybe it has to do with the core. Maybe, yeah, the you know, phoenix. unicorn yeah. hair is like silver and blue or something like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Ravenclaw. Yeah. Yep.
1: Dragon Heartstring would be green and black. I I like that. Um, But at the same time, I I like the idea that it was also a little bit of foreshadowing on the author's part that Harry was going to be sorted into Gryffindor.
0: Yeah, I'm inclined to think that's a little bit of what's going on here. But I do like these theories that y'all are sharing. So reviewing his best day ever, Harry is experiencing some imposter syndrome. Everyone knows him and admires him, but... Harry doesn't have the memories of why he deserves the accolades, and he recognizes he hasn't had a day of education about magic, so it's just a very strange situation for him. Like, everybody knows me. uh, They think I'm really talented, but (laughs) I don't know a lick of magic, at least magic that I'm trying to do purposefully yet. I think it's one of the first times, if not the first time, that Harry is thrust into a difficult situation at too young an age. It's it's not normal for an 11-year-old to experience imposter syndrome, and I feel really bad for Harry here. He's put into, like I was saying earlier, all these very adult situations that no child should ever have to go through. Maybe we can have a little discussion here about imposter syndrome. Do y'all remember feeling it at 11? I was maybe feeling it starting around like 16, 17.
3: Yeah, I... <sighs> Yeah, you have to be told your li- your like your limits or decide that for yourself before you realize you can't attain something. But much of my childhood, thankfully, was just like, "Oh, I'll I'll try and do something until I'm told I can't or find out that I can't." So yeah. doubting myself didn't come into. I mean, I was nervous about things like trying out for the school play, um, but I think the first time I really started doubting myself or had imposter syndrome was later in adolescence or or closer to like adult age.
2: I feel like I've experienced some kind of imposter syndrome in multiple stages of my life. And honestly, the first time I really remember feeling it, I was around 11 or 12. And it was when we moved states. We moved from Texas to Georgia during the summer. I was starting middle school in the fall. And of course, that's, you know a very tumultuous time for anyone, I think. Um, And I felt a lot of pressure starting at a brand new middle school in a brand new state where I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any friends. I felt like I didn't belong. I didn't know what my place was there. And I didn't have a name for that feeling at the time. But it was definitely imposter syndrome, for sure. And then I think just going on throughout life, there are really normal times where it crops up. Anytime you're moving, I think about even starting podcasting. I remember being on the first episode I was on of MuggleCast being like, I don't know if I should be here. <laughs> and, you know, I think starting a new job is always another really great example for something maybe more current in all of our lives that we've experienced. So, yeah, the struggle is real.
3: Definitely, definitely starting MuggleCast for the first time. This is like such a wide audience definitely feeling like i had to prove that i could do it
0: yeah and sort of like obviously muggle cast has never been as popular as harry potter the character in the wizarding world well
3: (laughs) but Eh, the show was
0: very popular and being younger we were like wow people really like the show why it's just us Mm -hmm. you know so it's a similar situation to what harry was experiencing actually
1: yeah i i agree with all the examples that that have been raised and and have experienced some of that myself what what i'm curious about though with harry though too is that does he feel this way because also for the first time he's being treated like a human being by hagrid Mm. oh yeah and he's never been treated that way before like hagrid gets him ice cream hagrid takes him out for a meal before he gets the train back home buys him an owl yeah he gets gifts a good gift (laughs) Like, he's not used to any of this. Like, people are, like, friendly to him and have conversations with him. And yeah. so, yeah, I got to imagine that's factoring into this, too.
2: Yeah, I agreed.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. So some odds and ends. Hagrid tells Harry that Fudge is always asking Dumbledore for advice. And this is interesting because when you think to Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix and Fudge is denying that Voldemort has returned which was an insistence of Dumbledore's, oh, how times have changed. Also, Hagrid mentions, crikey, I'd like a dragon, which is a nice little bit of foreshadowing. Students may, according to the Hogwarts supply letter, bring an owl, cat, or toad. But we don't see a ton of other students bring animals. This made me think, I would think, a lot of students would want to bring one of these three animals to kind of have a pet, a friend at school. Especially if you're joining this new school and you might not know anybody, that might be comforting to you to have a companion. Just imagine how chaotic Hogwarts would be if every student was bringing a cat, owl, or toad.
3: <laughs> like, the common room would have all these water bowls. Yeah, like, for all the pets. Uh, noise you do have all an the time. Owlery, though, right? I yeah, mean, so
0: they stay there, but there's not a totery. There's, not- <laughs> there's the Black Lake. <laughs> oh, okay, maybe there is a place for all these animals to go. It is
3: so arbitrary to have those three animals and only those three animals allowed. It's kind of like, what about the student that has like this cherished ferret or guinea pig or something? (laughs) Well, you need a lot of Evanesco going on. That's what I'm thinking. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. It just makes me think
0: like, it's just another way Hogwarts can be so chaotic with all these animals potentially
3: running around at the school. Well, I I think it's mentioned at some point that toads have fallen out of fashion. (laughs) I think Hagrid may even say that, yeah. which is so funny Neville. Neville has... Yeah. yeah, poor Neville.
2: It's Hagrid being like, oh no, those aren't in fashion anymore. You will be made fun of. <laughs> Let's get yeah. you something else.
3: It's such a faux pas.
2: <laughs> will we also in this chapter get the first mentions of the the Bagshot, who obviously becomes extremely important later on in the series. We also see our first mention of the Nimbus two thousand and Hagrid notes to Harry that Gringotts is hundreds of miles under London. I had forgotten about this. Obviously, we knew Gringotts was underground, but I had forgotten how far underground it was. And Hagrid also goes on to talk about the dragons that are guarding high security vaults, and he alludes to how impossible it is to get out, which is a nice thread to connect to Deathly Hallows, because... We know what happens there.
0: In hundreds of miles under London. Yeah. You're getting close to Earth's core. I mean, that's (laughs) like, it must be Ah. pretty hot down there. I'm surprised the gold doesn't melt. Oh.
2: I was wondering about the geological impacts of being that far (laughs) underground, but I wasn't going to go there.
3: (laughs) No wonder Hagrid was feeling sick. He was having a heat stroke. I just just did the math. I googled it. Um, And it's uh, actually uh, 1,800 miles to the Earth's core. So they're probably at like three to 500, I'd say. So not all the way there, but I like the idea that, uh, wizards could immediately be superior at digging. No muggle means could get that far down. So they're protected by living underground, uh, or having their bank vaults be down there.
1: I think it's cool. Yeah. I really like it. Um, Couple notes on my end. Actually, Laura, you reminded me when you mentioned Bethilda Bagshot, we also get our first mention of Newt Scamander uh, on that list as well uh, for Harry to pick up a copy of Fantastic Beasts. We also meet Professor Quirrell for the first time. And I was wondering, I think Eric, you had the answer here, how he's able to touch Harry. Uh, in the Leaky Cauldron with no consequence. We know what happens at the end of the book, but uh, it appears that he is not yet fully possessed by Voldemort at this time, right? Yeah.
3: It's not until the blunder where they do get into the the bank vault, um, and I'd love to know how Coral does it, um, but it's not until after that point when they get there, Quirrell gets in, it's too late, the stone has been taken, that Voldemort decides he has to like, something like, quote, keep a closer eye on. Quirrell. Quirrell tells Harry that at the end of uh, the book.
1: Yeah. And it's also the uh, first of two books where we meet the Defense Against the Dark Arts professor in Diagon Alley. Ooh.
2: Great call out.
1: One other thing. This is a fun note. um, When Harry is in uh, Ollivanders, he talks about the wands that his parents had. And he mentions that Lily's wand was good for charms James' one, good for transfiguration, which, of course, we know uh, comes into play uh, in a couple of books from now.
0: <laughs> Chapter six, the journey from platform nine and three quarters. Chapter five ended with the Dursleys just running away from Harry, cruelly. It, it was really inappropriate. It makes makes me sick. But then we get an introduction to a really wonderful family. And to kick things off, let's start with the seven word summary. Aboard the train, Harry
1: meets
2: the
0: Weasleys. The
1: Weasleys. There we Yay. go.
2: Right. Hey, this is our best summary of the day, I think.
3: <laughs> I think <It's>, so. Too. <laughs> I don't know that it's technically accurate, but okay. Well,
2: well he meets some of them.
3: Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay.
0: So we go from the worst family in Harry's life. Who, as I said, laugh as they leave him helpless in King's Cross. To the best, we meet the Weasleys. And the first impressions here represent most of these characters for much of the series. We get, we learn that Fred and George are pranksters. Ginny uh, is fawning over Harry, which arguably is some foreshadowing as well. Molly is already deeply caring for Harry, too. She tells Fred, Don't you dare ask about Voldemort when Fred. Has that idea pop yeah. into his mischievous mind? So Harry and Ron meet each other on the train and they comfort each other. Ron tells Harry that he won't be out of place as a student, and Harry tells Ron that even he, Harry, deals with hand me downs just like Ron does. Instant friends. They've got a connection here. They mutually help one another out. And I just, I really love that scene as an introduction to each other. Made me think what's the oldest friend's we have because just in this moment harry and ron become instant friends
3: for life well i'm pleased to say uh that i have had a friend since i was about four years old we used to live next door to each other but we, we obviously live uh in different states now and in fact he moved away when i was like nine years old uh his name is josh his family moved to maryland But our mothers were close, and so we kept in touch, and we got to hang out pretty much every year. We would go down and visit them. I would sleep over for a couple of days. It was this wonderful thing. So, you know, as to the question, like, how did you, like, was it love at first sight? Definitely we just vibed, and that's that's still the case. We just vibe. It feels really good to have, like, a long-time friend. Other than y'all, I can't say I have any long-time friends. I don't. Well, also like, you're you're my long-term friend. I mean, seventeen
0: years. Yeah, I was. I was. I thought Eric was going to bring that up, but he didn't. Um, it's no, okay. I, it's I, fine. Actually, I'm. Andrew's going to start crying. It's fine. It's it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I saw a lot of heart emojis here. I thought that's where you're going to go, but it's okay. Seventeen
3: years is a long time. No, yeah. it is for
0: sure. But means... like my oldest friend, I met my current oldest friend, like an active friend, I met in seventh grade. So that's great. Harry's got. Yeah. Harry's got me beat, though. It is impressive that you meet another friend at 11 or you said four and you stay active friends for life. And sometimes like I see this on Facebook, people celebrate this and that's great. I've never had this, though, at least not that far back.
2: You know, I've been uh, making friends off the Internet since a very young age, um, which is funny because I think at the time it seemed weird to most people, but now it's Pretty normal. Um, My oldest friend, apart from y'all, y'all are like the next oldest friends, is my friend Tiffany, who I met when I was like six or seven years old. And the reason I knew her or that I still know her is because our moms and uh, my dad, as well, to an extent, they all wrote Star Trek fan fiction together. (laughs) Um, oh so that's that's how they all met (laughs) and we ended up moving to texas which is where tiffany and her family lived and so my parents and her mom just started getting together and as a result she and i met and became friends and it's it's one of those friendships where we don't we don't talk every day or super often but when we do get together it's like no time has passed um, which are some of my favorite kinds of friendship. I feel that way about y'all too. Like we don't get to see each other in person very often, but when we do, it doesn't feel like any time is passed. We just kind of pick things up where we left off.
1: Yeah. I I definitely agree. Those are the best that just when you get together, you just can have conversations about anything and things feel normal. Like as you said, Lauren, no time has really passed at all. Um Similar to Eric, yeah, I have a friend going back to elementary school age that I've just known. I actually have a group. Um, we've kind of pretty much all stayed in touch with each other, and certainly we've all moved to different parts of the country and started families. But I think anytime we get together, it's just um, very easy and and fun. So um, it was it was nice reading this uh, about Harry and Ron how they were just able to connect kind of instantaneously, and you knew that. It's a friendship that would last a lifetime.
0: Did you know, according to a study in 2019, the average American has three friends for life, five people they really like and would hang out with one-on-one, and eight people they like but don't spend time with one-on-one or seek out? Okay, I guess you guys are my three friends
3: for life.
2: There you go. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I feel fortunate. I have more than three friends for life. It's y'all. Show off. And then- uh, and then one or two people outside of this panel.
0: I think maybe this is a benefit of podcasting. You can kind of get ahead of the average. If you're podcasting mm-hmm. with people for a really long time, presumably you like them. And then outside of podcasts, you have some other friends, actually. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, I think I'm a little lower on the um, friends that you would hang out with. Or excuse me, eight people that you like, but you don't spend a ton of time with one-on-one. Um, I don't think I have eight of those. i think I think that number is less.
3: I can think all of our slug club members I would hang out with one on one like there's t- dozens. I have so many friends.
1: yeah, I feel like <laughs> that part of it probably changes as you get older. Like when you're yeah. younger, you probably have people that you like but you and you really want to spend time with, but don't. But I think as you as you age, you're like, ah, they're not worth it. If they don't reciprocate worth- and want to spend time with you, that's yeah, what it yeah. right. has to be.
3: It it's it's not transactional, but it is like it, it does have to like kind of serve uh it has to contribute to your well-being yeah. um in a way.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, like time is the most valuable gift you can give somebody. So
0: yeah, and it's hard to manage friendships, relationships, especially if you're juggling multiple and long distance friendships, relationships are difficult to manage. But yeah, it was just really great to see this instant connection between Harry and Ron, and I'm glad it was set up that way. On the other hand though. Harry meets Hermione, and I don't really get any strong feelings from Harry about Hermione in this scene. Mm. He meets Draco, too, but those feelings have already been established, and he makes the connection that he met Draco back in Diagon Alley. But Hermione, I don't see any quick feelings like he gets about Ron. Am I missing something here, or does it just take a while?
3: I think it's intentional in the writing because they have to build up to the whole troll scene. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Harry doesn't necessarily like, yeah, this girl's awesome. Uh, but she's also a girl like everyone else so far has been Harry's same gender. And he grew up with Dudley. He knows boys. Oh, totally fine. All these boys point. on the train. Yeah. So, I mean, Hermione comes in, looked, I, I think she, she might be a little off putting. She's very, no it all. She's very kind of just like, Different, just a totally different energy. And Harry just doesn't know what to make of it. I think some of it has to do with the fact that she's a girl.
2: Yeah, maybe he doesn't know how to talk to girls. Well, yeah, exactly. If you I mean are, imagine
3: that, when would he have had any practice? Well,
0: yeah. right. And if you are straight, you might naturally just be like, uh oh, a girl. Oh god, maybe this could be it. Maybe she could be the one. <laughs> so naturally you're a little standoffish because you don't wanna you don't wanna screw that up. I
1: also just think that Harry and Ron are having a good time, like Harry hasn't had probably anything like this throughout most of his childhood where he's just hanging out with his new best friend on a train to Hogwarts, and like they're enjoying themselves right? They got chocolate frog cards, they have candy, yeah,
0: Harry's spending up a storm
1: rank corned beef sandwiches, and he's learning about the wizarding world too from Ron.
2: You know, that's the thing Hermione brings, you know, speaking of imposter syndrome, she is very clearly overcompensating here for this perceived deficiency that she feels, maybe feeling like she's behind because growing up her whole life, she didn't know about wizards, and she only very recently figured out they existed. So she's trying to catch up very quickly here. And she's trying to show off the work that she's done, I think, to make a place for herself Among these other students, she doesn't know what their parentages are, right? So she's just assuming that it's going to make it easier for her to belong and fit in if she shows that she gets it, right? And Harry is very open about not getting it. And he is okay with asking questions, even if they do make him feel dumb. So there's an interesting juxtaposition between these two here.
3: There's also this, I mean, we know Hermione is deeply insecure, um, especially about many things. Um, But she's also very take charge in this moment. Mm -hmm. You know, she comes in there, she's helping Neville out with the whole Toad thing. She's assertive. And I just think like she's got a lot of good qualities that we shouldn't discourage girls from having. Um, but yeah, like Ron and Harry have just never seen anybody like her. Um, no, at but, all. Like the only yeah,
1: yeah, but I also think like she's the second one to come in and ask about the toad, and it's like, didn't we already deal with this? Like we said, there's no <laughs> toad here. like can we can we go back to chilling? Yeah. Like again, remember, they're 11 years old. I don't think anybody's questioning motives here.
2: Yeah, and girls are also just socialized to be more helpful. So I think that is an element of what's going on here, too, when we think about some of the differences that they might have seen in their upbringings that inform the way they are in this chapter.
0: Okay, so yeah, it's not like a lot of these early chapters. There's not a ton to discuss deeply, I don't think. but. The only other major note here is I think Harry's starting to be nudged towards Gryffindor because it's one of the houses he's not hearing bad things about. (laughs) He's hearing Slytherin is made up of bad people. Hufflepuff is a bunch of duffers. Ravenclaw, okay. But also Gryffindor. Ron wants to go to Gryffindor. I think Hermione mentioned something about Gryffindor as well. So he's being nudged that direction, which is interesting to see. Looking at some odds and ends...
2: Yeah, so we see Scabbers for the first time. It's real weird rereading this and kind of thinking forward about connecting threads. Typically, I think we've always looked back to connect threads. So it's very interesting to be able to do it this way. Real weird to think about, you know, the guy who betrayed Harry's parents uh, and also just like a grown man just being in this train (laughs) compartment with these children. And then also something I noticed that was just an interesting point when it came to some of the figures mentioned on Chocolate Frog cards, we see a combination of real life historical figures that we would all be familiar with, as well as characters from lore and legend that are apparently in this world. Wizards. So we hear about um, Ptolemy, who is who was a real life mathematician, astronomer, astrologer, geographer, and music theorist. We also get Morgana, who was a sorceress in Arthurian legend. Circe, who's a goddess in Greek mythology. Um, Paracelsus, who's who was a physician, alchemist, theologian, and philosopher. So. We get Merlin, too, who's like a very obvious one. But it's something I really appreciate about these stories um, is that they're extremely grounded in some ways in terms of making it clear that this story very much takes place in our world. Yeah. Right. Because these are all people we're familiar with. You would never read about Ptolemy, who we all heard learned about in math class, I'm thinking that's probably where most people are familiar with that name from. You would never off the top of your head be like, oh, yeah, that guy was a wizard. And I just thought it was really cool that they were inserted in that way.
0: And this is one of the big appeals of the Harry Potter series. It feels like it actually is happening in our world. Stuff like this or London and Diagon Alley being intertwined, like it all fits together. And it's a really exciting prospect. And this is why You know, Hogwarts will always be there to welcome you home also really resonates with people because it really does feel like Hogwarts could be out there.
3: Also, they have that uh, that flourishy old timey name, you know, Ptolemy, like even as an 11 year old or or probably 14 year old reading this. I didn't know who these people were, but they have that fancy name that makes it seem real.
2: Right. And then you're like, wait, real people have these names.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But they were wizards.
2: Yeah very cool and then you know another chocolate frog note we learned some facts about Dumbledore at this point and we know that two out of three of these have been explained so we get the Grindelwald connection later on mm-hmm. we also get the Nicholas Flamel connection later on in the book but we're still waiting to hear about the 12 uses of dragon's blood we still <laughs> don't know about They're that all this <laughs> five,
3: five film series on the 12 uses of dragon's blood <laughs> they make a great martini that's actually one
0: <laughs> also, I just wanted to celebrate how like the two chapters that preceded it, the magic is laid on thick here. All the different and whimsical types of candy like we mentioned a few minutes ago. There's the moving portraits, um as a reader and I think this is something that initially hooked us. It's thrilling to have so much thrown at us at once and things we'd never seen before. And again, tying it back to the fact that it feels like the wizarding world is truly set in our world, throwing in all this new magic all these very clever ideas it just it gives you a dopamine hit and you just want to read more and i think all this magic is a big and all this creativity is a big reason why we were so drawn into the book early on and like a good television show they got to hook you early this book hooks you early
3: yeah it does it's beautiful
1: yeah for me on the odds and ends front uh i thought it was strange that nobody told harry beforehand how to get onto platform 93 quarters right you were talking in the previous chapter about was Hagrid best suited uh to be the one another
0: ding against Hagrid
1: yeah or included in the Hogwarts letter like maybe Harry misplaced that given all the uh letters that showed up for him but I feel like you know like that's pretty important especially for like Hermione how did Hermione know how to get on She probably
0: read about it. Yeah. Yeah, she probably did. But yeah, I guess there is a good chance that you could be standing around at King's Cross and overhear somebody, but that requires a little bit of luck. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a really good point. And Hagrid just shouldn't have left him that early.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And Andrew, you talked about this other one kind of at the top, but the Weasley family dynamic, Like we get a pretty strong sense for this. Um, Maybe the one we didn't talk as much about is Percy but just the, the the way that he's a little bit bullied by his brothers and that he's going to be a prefect. And um also found it interesting the way that uh, the twins talk to, to Ron in kind of that baby voice. And it's it's the same one that Lavender uses a little bit later on in the series, calling him like Ickle Ronikins and stuff like that. I, I also really love the rite of passage. Um, I think that's worth mentioning at the end of the chapter of the first years going over in the boats. I don't know if we had like any traditions like that when we went to school. Certainly not as cool as that, but um, I didn't take a boat to school.
0: No no boats. No No boats. No boats. (laughs) No, No, you're right, though. It is an iconic moment. And of course, a really special moment in the movie as well. And we get that iconic poster. And Oh, it's now the background of the MuggleCast Collectors Club as well. Right. Mm, (laughs) Interesting that that should happen this year, starting this year. Yes. Okay, so that's chapters four through six of Sorcerer's Stone. But now it's time for our MVP of the week. And remember, with this new chapter-by-chapter series, we're either recognizing a chapter or a wizard. So, here we go. And I'm going to give mine to Ron... I just love that early connection between Harry and Ron and I celebrate Ron for extending a hand to Harry and the chemistry between them initially really warms my heart.
2: I'm going to give a most valuable chapter to Diagon Alley. This is Harry's first introduction to the wizarding world where he physically gets to be in it and he's not just sort of subject to being approached by people who are wizards. Um, and it's our first opportunity as readers to see what that world looks like, interact with the characters there, see all of the quirky shops and the things that you can buy in them in Diagon Alley. And it really just sets Harry up to be prepared for Hogwarts, because that's a huge adjustment.
1: I'm going to give it up for Molly Weasley, because without, <laughs> without her, Harry is not going to Hogwarts in his first year.
3: Fair. <laughs> Even though Hagrid didn't take him all the way to the platform, uh, he maybe should have done. uh, My MVP is going to Hagrid. I just do think he was the perfect rough around the edges guide into the amazing Wizarding World and Harry's destiny.
0: Well, if you have any feedback about today's episode, you can email MuggleCast at gmail.com or you can use the contact form on MuggleCast.com. You can also send a voice message. Just record it using the Voice Memo app on your phone and then email us that file. Or we've got a phone number, 19203 Muggle. That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. And next week on the show, chapter by chapter continues. We'll be doing chapters 7 through 9, maybe. Right, Micah? Or maybe we'll do 7 to 8. Or did you read the chapters already? yeah we'll see we'll see
1: i have not read them yet
0: okay these episodes are already pretty long so we might be going to two chapters sooner rather than later especially if we have a guest on the episode it looks like we will have a special guest on next week's Mm -hmm. episode
1: working on it but looking pretty promising cool cool
0: well it's time for
3: some quizage Last week's question Who are the four known members of Dudley's gang from chapter three of book one? This, of course, excludes Dudley, who's part of the gang. The correct answer is Piers, Dennis, Malcolm, and Gordon. Correct answers were submitted by Colby Cheese, Booba Tooper Puss, Brock, Salty Slytherin, Ravenclaw from Nebraska, Dobby Gets a Sock, Sophia the Ravenclaw, Luna Love Good for Life, Artemis Fido Jr., the second, Bort You Know Who, Greta Letta, Elizabeth K., MuggleCast is the true 8th story. Oh, Andrew and Pat's number one shipper. Oh my goodness. And the chosen taco. Wow. Here is next week's Quizzitch question. From which vault number does Hagrid retrieve the philosopher's slash sorcerer's stone? Submit your answer to us on the Quizitch website, the MuggleCast website, MuggleCast.com slash Quizzitch. Choose Quizzage from the main nav bar. Make sure you're following
0: MuggleCast for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode and leave us a review if they allow you to. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. That does it for this week's episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric.
1: I'm Micah.
2: And I'm Laura. Bye, everybody. Bye.
0: Bye. I love you, Hagrid.